welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 329, and today we're talking about base camps. So if you're a frequent listener of the podcast, you know that we often talk about backpacking, backpack-style hunts, backpack gear, and putting those types of hunts together. But base camps have a role. Sometimes they even have a role on a backpack hunt, which we'll talk about. But it is easy to overlook a base camp, to just assume, yeah, I can throw some gear in my truck and go, and I don't have to think through planning a base camp. Uh, And that can be true, but with some planning and intention and effort, you will avoid some mistakes and some pitfalls and optimize your experience with base camps. And so today we're talking with my buddy Josh Kuntz about how to put together an effective base camp. What are the benefits of a base camp and how do you maximize those benefits? So we talk about base camps from a very high level and also get very deep into the nitty gritty and talk about specific techniques, gear items, and more. Also in the show description for this episode, you'll find a link to an article that I put together with Josh about using base camps. And this recaps some of the information we discuss in this podcast, as well as includes some items that we didn't get to discuss in this conversation, but you will find in that blog post over at the Exo Mountain Gear Journal. So check out that link if you want to learn more. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Maybe that's about base camps after hearing this episode, or maybe it's about something else entirely. Just let us know. Right now, though, let's dive into this conversation with Josh Kuntz. Josh, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be on with you, Mark. Yeah, man. This is uh, overdue. I've known you for several years and good to get you on the show. There's been several emails and conversations that we've had on different topics that will make uh, great podcasts, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. But today we're going to talk about base camps, which is something that's we've neglected in a way um you know as we talk about backcountry hunting a lot of times we're talking about backpacking but not necessarily the use of base camps and how they can help even on a backcountry hunt and even on a backpack hunt so before we dive into that though uh just kick it off with a little personal intro and background just to let listeners know a bit about you sure thing so uh i live here in boise idaho i've been here about 10 years and I guess I I hate to call myself an expert in anything, but um, I've been told by many folks in my life, I'm a bit of a preparation and organizational expert. Um, A lot of that comes through professional experience. And then I have certainly a a pretty deep thread of OCD um, and a love of spreadsheets and checklists and that sort of thing. I'll get more into the professional experience here in a little bit, but you know, I'm 44, got a wife and a three-year-old, grew up in Bozeman, Montana, and just doing all sorts of sports and outdoor activities. Um, I've been hunting since I was just a little kid, archery hunting for about 20 years, backpack hunting for about 15 years, uh, mostly Idaho, Montana, a handful of hunts in Arizona, one in South Carolina. Um, yeah, so I've just been you know camping and hunting throughout mostly the, the summer seasons. I'm certainly not a winter camping or hunting expert. I'm a little bit uh, cold-blooded, so I like the warmer environments. But to get into the professional experience a little bit, 
I worked for myself for about 15 years as a special event coordinator. And the largest client I had during that time was the Marlboro Guest Ranch in Montana, which is an incredible 18,000 acre guest ranch. It's no longer run as the Marlboro Guest Ranch, but it gave me a just a deep dive into the world of organizing and preparing for activities um, and, and hosting people, which has a ton of carryover into backcountry, uh, camping, hunting, that sort of thing, because we were preparing all these different activities for a group of a hundred people. There was, there was a new wave of a hundred people every four days and literally in over 10 years through tens of thousands of people that came through this guest ranch and they were doing all these different activities. And I was on the team that handled the logistics, set up the activity base camps, coordinated with all the different um, various guides we were using as people were coming through. And so we would, we had a really a uh, highly polished system of checklists and spreadsheets to keep track of everything, making sure every T was, you know, um, T was crossed and I was dotted there to make sure that people had everything from food and beverage to all the equipment they were going to need down to making sure there were hand warmers if it was cold. Um, is this, this place was really a five-star place. And I just carried a lot of those skills over into my hunting world. And it's turned out that I think it's just kind of normal. It's how my brain works. And then when I go hunting with other people, they're like, dude, you have your system more dialed in than anybody I know, which I take <laughs> as a compliment. And I'm sure there's people that are far better. They have better systems than I do. But um, all that to say, I have a lot of organization combined with a fair amount of experience, um, both in hunting and then professionally in the special event world. This just led me to uh, have a pretty good understanding of what it takes for base camps and backpack style hunting. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of base camps, I mean, I really see those, uh, I don't want to say I see them this way, but if I think through my personal history and experience, I definitely three scenarios stick out. One is you truly have like called a roadside base camp where you're actually just hunting from there. Right. So you're essentially day out for the day back to base camp at night, um, have done, alternatively a base camp at the road where it's just kind of your home away from home and a place to get back to. So maybe you're going out and backpacking for two, three nights, but you're going to come back to base camp, maybe to move, maybe to recoup, hopefully, because you're packing out meat or something like that. Um, and then call it a backcountry base camp where maybe you're flown in, or maybe you just kind of like pack in heavy and set up a backcountry base camp that you're going to hunt out of. So just on my personal experience, when I think about base camps, uh, those are some of the scenarios I kind of think of, but for you, what comes to mind in terms of, I guess, why are we talking about base camps today? What could be the benefits use cases um, just to kind of get the conversation rolling about the topic? Yeah. Well, those three you mentioned um, are spot on. I've, I've had all all of the same experiences. I mean, just this year, I actually had all three of those in the same year. I flew into the Frank and um, hunted and we had a base camp at the airstrip. Also throughout archery season, had a had that scenario where I was mostly backpack hunting, but I had base camp set up a very you know, quick, versatile, simple setup back at the truck. Um, and I've also been a part of hunts where we packed in heavy and set up kind of a backcountry base camp, um, if you will. But why, yeah, why do we talk about these things? Because a um, handful of reasons come to mind. Because it, your camp setup really can have a pretty tremendous positive or negative experience 
uh, or excuse me, impact on your hunt. And I've seen hunts ruined because of camping failures, which is a shame. Um, and there's just, you know, easily avoidable mistakes that get made and when in the planning or the executing of those base camps. Um, and as I was kind of mentioning there in the professional experience, like there's what seem like maybe small details and logistics that can actually have a pretty significant um, impact. And they don't often get the priority or the attention, maybe because if you're a backpack hunter, like you are, and I primarily am, you focus so much on that, you can sometimes overlook the base camps. Um, and a big one for me is your camp setup really can have a lot of um, impact on your comfort and excuse me, a lot of impact on your like physical and mental performance because of the level of comfort you either do or don't have. Um, and then lastly, I know this podcast in particular is a really good resource for people who are just getting into hunting or even if they've hunted a lot, but haven't traveled and like hunted out West a lot. Um, it can be somewhat overwhelming for inexperienced people to make good decisions. And so you and I started talking about this and um, talking to Steve as well, who I know can't join us today, but um, really just kind of realized, yeah, this is something that gets glossed over, but there's a, there's a lot of times that your camp setup can truly impact your hunt. Yeah, you shared, uh, you have some like different scenarios and stories that highlight the importance of having a base camp. And we'll probably come and talk about more of them later, but on that final point you just mentioned, you shared one story where you ran into three guys from Minnesota who had driven 18 hours to Idaho for just a three-day weekend of scouting. This wasn't even hunting season. Um, and they brought like a wall tent and, you know, this big kind of elaborate base camp to set up. But in all reality, that time of year and for that specific weekend, the weather was great. And so thinking of the amount of time they spent setting up this base camp, they really cut into the time that they could have been out scouting, right? Like that's a perfect example of, you know, the right tool for the job, maybe some level of inexperience and how to think critically so that you can make better decisions. Cause those guys could have easily went fast and light and capitalized on those three days they had to scout. If they would have minimized how much time they invested in their base camp as an example. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That, that, that example really blew my mind when I drove by that, giant wall tent and then uh, later bumped into these guys on the trail and they told me it was theirs and they had driven all the way out from, from Minnesota to Idaho, like I said, just to scout for their upcoming fall hunt. And I was like, I know how long it takes to put up a big canvas wall tent and to tear it down and to pack it up at home and unpack it. And I'm like, all this energy, they could have really trimmed off so much. I mean, the weather was great and they could have brought simple backpacking tents or hell, it was so good. They could have just thrown down a tarp on the ground, slept on the ground and kept an emergency tarp just to throw over them. They were sleeping right next to a suburban. Um, and yeah, they just wasted a ton of hours and most likely just due to inexperience or sometimes you just get set in your ways, right? Like, Oh, yeah. when we go to elk camp. We always take a, this is what we tent. do. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I see that a lot with guys who own big pull behind camp trailers, right? Mm -hmm. Those things offer a tremendous degree of comfort, but they take a lot of time there, you know, to get all set up, to even to pull them where you're going, to set them up, get them all arranged. Um, and they're awesome when the, when in certain scenarios, but you don't often need that. And it just cuts into time. And for me, the, my like primary goals for my base camp is 
to like increase the amount of time I actually am in the woods hunting during a trip and then to increase my physical and mental performance. So mm-hmm. like, those are my overarching two things I'm thinking about when I'm like looking at a trip. Cause you have to look at each of these hunting trips independently. Right. And you're like, all right, what are the circumstances? What are my goals? And then what equipment do I need? That's going to fit. It's, it's the same mentality we take into a backpack hunt, right? Like mm-hmm. you're taking a different shelter on a, on September 2nd in mild conditions than you are on November 15th when a winter storm is approaching. Yeah. You're going to do the same for a, a base camp. Um, and you know, what style of hunting you're doing. Yeah. That increasing physical and mental performance. I mean, honestly makes me think of uh, several stories, but one of which was this fall, uh, the rifle elk hunt that Steve and I did. And we had a base camp that we set up. It was pretty quick and easy to set up at the truck. And then we went out backpacking and I think we were carrying probably two nights, three days, um, to backpack with, uh, which we ended up using, but we also ended up, I ended up killing a bull on day one. And then we stayed out, uh, backpacked that night. The bull was six plus miles from the truck, kept hunting and then hunted our way out while packing meat. So it was like a dual purpose trip of, Hey, we can get some meat back to camp, but we can also hunt our way out. But then the ability to get back to a base camp and like be comfortable for a night, especially after killing this bull and packing it part of it, six plus miles, like we were able to then wake up with some comfort and some rest and hunt strong the next day, which we did end up killing Steve's bull. And then now we're just, you know, on a meat mission for a few days with uh, still part of my bull and then his bull to pack out. But, you know, that combination of like, we're going to backpack, but we're going to have this place to get back to and like get a really good night's rest that can really make a difference, especially if you're talking about a scenario like that, where you have multiple hunters, multiple tags to fill and a good chunk of time to get it done in. Um, so that's like just one example on increasing that physical mental performance that really stands out for sure. When you talk about, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, so I listened to that podcast, which made a lot of sense. And and I can't remember if you covered it, but a question I had was, did you guys leave your tents in back in the woods or did you bring those all the way back out to the truck with you? And the reason I'm asking is it, um, brings up some, I think is really important to talk about here, which is having a, a, second sleep system back at your base camp at your vehicle. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, let's use your example. Like I can't remember what you and Steve did in that case. Yeah, we were so both. Yes. To jump ahead, we had the sleep system back at the base camp, um, extra sleeping bag, uh, because it's a base camp, a more cushy pad that wasn't like a backpacking pad and all that. But, uh, in that scenario, we did carry our backpacking gear, our backpacking camp out with us. Uh, simply because we knew we were planning on staying mobile anyway. And so like the scenario, we backpack in, I kill a bull. We stay in the field that night. We're hunting the second day. We weren't even sure at that point, like, are we even going to come back out? Are we going to keep hunting? Like it wasn't a, a definitive decision. It was that ability to make decisions on the fly. And so we stayed out that second night, uh, backpacked. And then it was the third day that we then uh, picked up camp and meet and then went our way back. But yeah, I'm sure we'll dive more into uh, having like, what gear do you have at base camp versus what's in your pack? And sometimes they overlap. And then sometimes if possible, 
um, you can have two quote unquote sets of certain things, which is a great point. Like you have a really good question in here as we have this outline to talk about this topic of when do you go with a bigger, more complicated base camp and when to go with a smaller, more simple base camp. So let's dive into to that and understand when to do one versus the other. Then we'll talk more about how to do that. All right. Yeah. So in terms of figuring out like which size for lack of a better term of which size or style of base camp to use, um, you're, you're, you, I used, like I said earlier, that same philosophy of choosing gear that you would on a backpack hunt. And you're kind of trying to find uh, the right balance between utility and comfort weight, space, cost, ease of use, all that stuff, your energy needs. Um, so for me, I things I think about when like, all right, this one might make sense to go with a bigger, more complicated base camp. I'm going to be there a long time. You know, it's just a multi-day hunt. Um, I have a high level of knowledge about the camp spot. So um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Because if you have one, especially these big trailers or a certain type of vehicle, you got to know, where you're going to put that thing because they don't fit in all the, all these different, uh, you know, options that might be out there. Also, you have a high level of confidence that you can actually get the spot that fits your equipment. Some of these areas that we hunt, they see a lot of pressure. And if you only have one spot that your trailer fits and you drive three, four, 18 hours, whatever the case may be, and you show up and somebody's in your spot, you can be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, also haven't, you know, you, you're looking for a scenario where there's a low likelihood that you're going to have to call an audible and change locations if, if you have a really complicated base camp set up. Um, and then the next two kind of go hand in hand, like bat, if you're expecting bad weather and you have a real high priority on physical comfort. So um, for me, I think late season hunts here in Idaho, if you're doing a November hunt and you're like, I'm going to be here a long time, it's going to be miserable weather having a comfortable spot where I can stand up, I can move around, I can dry off and I'm, you know, bad weather is not going to bother me. That's a great chance to go with a big, you know, complicated base camp setup, whether it be an RV, a a super tall teepee, like just, as I mentioned, I did that deer hunt this year in November. And um, I know you've had Darren Cooper on from rent outdoor gear and we got hooked up with a 12 man seek outside teepee for that hunt. So that we could stand up inside, run a stove and having that at base camp, a world of difference, just getting comfortable. The the days are short during that time of the year. So you're spending a lot of time in camp. And, you know, if you compare that in your mind versus having a little two man backpacking tent that you're just hanging out in with potentially wet gear, long nights, uh, cramped space, it's a major improvement to have something big and comfortable in that case. Yeah. And especially with, I even think about like, what's your call it group size? Like, is it you and a buddy hunting? Like it still could be great to have a base camp, but especially if it's like, you got this, you, the camp environment, right? You got three, four, five, six guys. There's a difference between having a base camp. That's five guys, each with a backpacking tent versus having a shelter where five guys can hang out, you know, tell stories, play cards, have the laughs, all that stuff. Um, and as you said, like th- there's a call it almost, I never thought about this way, but almost a law of nature, right? As you get later in the season, you have a higher probability of bad weather. And as you just mentioned, those shorter hours in the day to actually be hunting. And so 
the base camp just makes more and more sense the later that you get, right? Because more time spent at camp or in some sort of camp and higher likelihood of bad weather. Yep. That's exactly how I, I feel about it as well. And then, you know, the, the opposite is true for like when it makes sense to go with a small, simple base camp, right? Either shorter hunts, you have hardly any knowledge about the area. Good chance you're going to be changing locations a lot. Weather shouldn't be an issue. Um, and your, your priorities are speed and mobility, or even just a low budget. Um, you know, one example that I think I mentioned to you was several years ago, I did my first Arizona coos deer hunt and I did it solo. I'd never been to any of these spots before. Um, I had multiple spots marked that I might want to hunt. And so I just went down with a super simple truck camp setup. I had a rooftop tent at the time. I no longer have it. But I knew I was going to be very mobile. Weather shouldn't be too bad. Um, it actually ended up snowing on me like three inches in Arizona, which is pretty uncommon. Um, but I was still fine. And But I did move all the time. And I had no idea where I'd be camping. And it was so nice to not have to worry about a trailer. I could be in and out of my rooftop tent in a matter of minutes. Um, so that was just one example of having that mobility in a really simple setup was definitely the way to go. So I, it was just me. So I didn't have to worry about other people. I had plenty of room for my gear. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. My archery elk hunt was very similar this year. It was me and a buddy. We knew we needed to be mobile. Um, but at the same time, when you know you're potentially going to be mobile, even if you don't have a full fledged base camp, just thinking through, all right, we might potentially drive from this part of the unit to the other, or from one unit to another there's potential here where we're going to be at the truck for a night. Just thinking through the really small things of what would make that better, like more enjoyable, more restful, more comfortable. So in our archery elk hunt, we didn't have this elaborate base camp necessarily to come back to that we set up, but it was more what we just talked about with a smaller, simpler setup of what can we have at the truck that's going to actually help us. So we're still going to if we're camped at the truck, we, in that case, we were still throwing up our backpacking tents. That's what we were sleeping in. But we also had some extras that could just make camp life a bit more comfortable, like a grill, a cooler with some meat, you know, where we could cook real meals and not have to eat a mountain house, for example. So again, there's like this spectrum of what does this base camp look like to you for sure? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, later in this, uh, you, you kind of alluded to some of the little gear you do keep at base camp and um, over the years, I've kind of created a little bit of a list of small things that I've found that make a really nice difference um, having a base camp. So let's dive into it. Let's do it. First one you did mention right there was the coolers and ice. And since we're obviously a, on a hunting podcast, but since we're talking about coolers, I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention like meat care is obviously a number one priority here. And it blows my mind how many guys I see out there hunting who have like an inadequate cooler system for taking care of meat, especially elk where you're, you know, potentially bringing in a whole hind quarter. Um, so like figure out how to have an adequate size cooler. Um, I personally love having a big long cooler that can throw an entire quarter in super fast. Sometimes I don't have time, you know, it's, it's hot out or I just want to do as many trips as possible packing meat. So I don't want to have to sit there at the truck and debone meat to be able to fit it in my cooler. Um, Do you have like a a Gucci fancy cooler or is this just like an igloo type? Dude, I have the most non-Gucci coolers. I have what I consider the 
like Ford F-150 of coolers, just the Coleman, it's a 150 quart. So it's a big sucker. It's really long. It's like 38 or 40 inches long, which happens to fit an elk hindquarter beautifully. Um, I have two of those at the truck at all times. One of them serves as a storage bin for extra gear. And then the other one is loaded with ice. I have a whole system where I put you know, frozen gallons of water. And Guys are going to want to hear the system. So go ahead and tell okay. us about it. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to work bottom up. All right. So I get these rectangular uh, gallon jugs. I can't remember the brand right now of ice. It's not super important, but I start with about seven or eight of those on the base layer. And then those tall, skinny, uh, kind of rectangular Fiji water bottles. Mm-hmm. I do three or four of those frozen because they fit up on, they just fill up the other space. And then these little like 10 or 12 ounce cylinder, they're these coffee drinks that come in a little plastic bottle that my uh, wife and I like, I have about seven or eight of those. And th- I just kind of put those on the bottom layer. And then I cut two pieces of cardboard and a couple pieces of Reflectix. And for those mm. who may not know what Reflectix is, it's essentially bubble wrap. You can buy this stuff at Home Depot by the roll. It's pretty inexpensive. It's essentially bubble wrap with this silvery reflective material on each side of it. You can cut it with a pair of scissors, piece of cake. It weighs like nothing. So I shape that to my cooler. So ice on the bottom, a couple pieces of cardboard, a couple pieces of reflective, and then the key piece is I have an old, old down jacket. This is like one I picked up for 20 bucks at a thrift shop, but it's a super puffy jacket. And I put that on top of the cardboard and reflective and it creates like a seal. And uh, sometimes I'll also throw an old, old towel on there too, but I'm just kind of sealing in that cold. And even in the hottest environments, that ice will hold for like five days in a basic Coleman cooler. And then if I bring meat back, I can put it right on that ice to start with. But then as that cooler starts filling up, like I said, I have an identical size cooler that uses storage bin. Well, I can just start taking that stuff I put in there for storage out and put meat in that second cooler and transfer ice. And it's really easily, I can fit um, an entire elk in those two coolers. No problem with plenty of ice. Uh, It's a really versatile system. And for those maybe really detailed to think, I'm like, well, what do you do with all that gear that you took out of the big cooler? In there, I have a really large, just nylon um, bag that, you know, just like a, imagine like Santa's, Santa's bag for presents. I just throw all that gear into that nylon bag um, so that I can keep track of it. And it's not just floating around loosely. Um, But those, that little cooler system has just proven to be fantastic. Um, And even when I went down to Arizona, I think it was in 2018, I drew an Arizona elk tag and I just bought one on walmart.com, had it shipped to the local Walmart there in Arizona. So when I, because I flew down for that hunt, I was using my mother-in-law's like little grocery grid or SUV with road tires on it. But I went down to local Walmart, picked up the, uh, the cooler I bought, used the same basic ice system. And I managed to uh, fit an entire bowl into one cooler, but barely. Um, and we did have to cut up a fair amount of meat, but it was wow. a really nice system. Those are like hundred dollar coolers. Guys are going to geek out on that and love it for sure. And we get questions all the time. Like how many coolers do I need for an elk and what size and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So a lot of good info well, in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever met uh, Danny Nesbitt friends with Steve and I yeah. can't remember if I met him through Steve, but the guy's a hell of a hunter. 
Um, and you know, he kills a bull almost every year. And I was with him one year when he shot his bull and packed him back to his truck. And he had a really nice color. It was a Yeti of some sort, but it just wasn't big enough to fit a hind quarter. And it was a hot day and we were going to be trying to do laps on meat. We had a second lap to go do. And like the, the shank is sticking out of the cooler and we're like wrapping tarps around it and the coolers half closed. It's like, come on, Danny, like you're this, he has, he's a great hunter. He shoots an elk every year, has the ability to buy a, a bigger size cooler. And so I was giving him a, some you know, pretty significant shit on the way home. Like, yeah. dude, you, you, got, you got an Achilles heel here in your system. Yeah. Like the Yeti doesn't work great when the lid's open and it's wrapped in its heart. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. A styrofoam cooler with the lid closed is probably better, better than a Yeti with the lid open. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, what, so again, we're, we got like went deep on clears and ice, which again, yeah. I, I wanted to, but coming back to what we're talking about, key gear for the base camp, what's next. Yeah. So, um, you already mentioned like having a dedicated sleep system. So, you know, a whole separate sleep system than if you're backpacking. So that could be some sort of shelter, a sleeping bag, a pad or a cot, whatever you're sleeping on there. Um, so if you do have to come back and leave your other gear, like say you're backpack hunting, um, I often backpack in and set up a little spike camp and, you know, don't hunt with camp on my back all day. I'll be in there, you know, a handful of miles and say I shoot an elk that's between my camp and the truck. It's going to make sense for me just to start taking meat right to the truck without go, going backwards to my camp. So mm-hmm. um, having that sleep system ready for me at the truck. So if I'm packing out that first load of meat to the truck late at night, I just put it in the cooler, go to sleep. Um, also, I have a dedicated stove and fuel and food and beverages and basic hygiene supplies, you know, toilet paper and stuff at the truck so that if I get there, I can just cook up a quick meal, go to sleep. Um, and also in the mornings, you know, I, I sent you an example this particular year in archery season, just how schedules work. My hunting buddy kept being able to get out of town early enough to go to our area and get in an evening hunt. Um, and then this is an area he wasn't familiar with. So he was waiting for me to get there to backpack hunt in, but I couldn't get there till late at night. Um, so I would just pull in, sleep in the back of my truck, but then in the morning, I didn't have to get into any of my backpacking stuff. I had this separate stove and fuel so I could cook up some breakfast, coffee, do that in just a matter of minutes, never have to unpack my backpacking gear. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, another time saver. Like if you want to, and we did time. this on our rifle elk hunt, if you want to get up and get hiking, you know, before light and save time and all that, not having to unpack, repack and having that dedicated extra gear, certainly nice if you can swing it. Yeah, indeed. And then, uh, you know, I keep in that big cooler, it's my supplies, like some extra clothes and footwear that I would just use around camp. Um, so that I, you know, if I'm not getting food, uh, smells all over my hunting clothes as much. I'm not super particular about that, but it's just nice having some extras. And mm-hmm. um, another big one for me is having tarps, and some guy lines, and some straps, and then um, I have these awesome telescoping poles. People have probably seen them, they're just like you can buy them anywhere, like Amazon. But they're just these telescoping tarp poles. So that if you're setting up tarps, it just gives you a ton of versatility because you can make a nice high tarp anywhere. These things telescope up to like eight feet, I believe, maybe even nine. Um, but if you're in a base camp, having a cheap tarp that you can throw up to create some shade for cooking or, you know, getting out of certainly out of uh, rain and snow 
Um, you can also use tarps to hide gear. So that's a big one for me. Um, you, know, you, can, you can create a tarp and off the side of your vehicle or the back of your vehicle, to create like a little uh, lean-to for a sleeping area if you don't have a tent um, that you want to set up. And then another big one that I really like to bring is a really simple table, mm. especially if, you, if you're not hunting out of a truck that has a tailgate. Like having a table to sort your gear, cut meat, set your stove on for cooking. Um, that, that's really a, a nice, simple one to bring along. Yeah. Um, along those lines, having a chair to sit in. If you are going to go back there, you're going to take a break. It's nice to, as we know, take your boots off, relax, be comfortable. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a guy who likes to advise people to buy a lot of gear. So you can keep it super simple. Having a stadium camp chair and set it on your cooler still a pretty comfortable seat right lighting lighting is another one that i focus on um, i keep a little solar lantern back at the truck and then i also have a dedicated headlamp that stays at the truck so that i know i have plenty of lights if i'm cutting up meat at night or just cooking or hanging around camp and then i'm not burning the batteries in my backpacking headlamp yeah have you i don't know what solar lantern you have but the ones i use are uh these little inflatable ones have you seen those yeah, so they're like I have, a disc, and then they inflate, and then it's solar. They actually work really well. They work awesome. I have two. I many years ago I started with uh, inflatable solar one that looks like a pillow. Okay. Um, and I went through two of those, and they I do not advise getting those because they like fold up super small. And you're not using it, but every one I had developed a hole in it. So when okay. you try to inflate it, so it kind of tr- turned into a lantern, it it sucked. It just kind of became a deflated pillow. Um, but then, yeah, I was gifted one of those kind of cylindrical um, solar ones that collapse and, you know, they're, they're still inflatable. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And the one I got um, also allows you to plug your phone into it, and get a charge off of it if you wanted. Oh, nice. I think the brand might be, don't quote me on this. It's like L-U-C-I-I or something Yes, like that. I was just looking. So I was thinking of the same thing. What are those? And yeah, it's L-U-C-I, just a single C. Uh, okay. So L-U-C-I. Um, and yeah, I see the, the, I have the standard ones and then I see the one you're talking about with like the extra battery, essentially a battery bank built into it, but they work. Yeah. And, um, it has like a little hanging loop on the top that you Mm -hmm. can clip on, um, for whatever reason, mine, like the little, little rubber clip thing, like fused together. So I couldn't undo it. So I put a little loop of paracord on there and a carabiner so I can just hang that thing anywhere, um, you know, off tree branch. And I, I'm a big fan of that particular Solar lantern. Yeah. And the non battery bank ones, the simple ones that I have are probably three, four ounces. So like there has been times where I've been tempted. If you're doing like the backcountry base camp, we were talking about like you're kind of packing in like a spike camp you're going to hunt from and you don't mind a little bit of weight because it's just for the in and out and you're not carrying camp every day. Um, they're pretty light. So you could even pack them on a hunt like that as well. Yeah. In fact, I've thought of that many times. I, I most times these days do two to three to four day hunts. I'm just based on life schedule right now. And I've got a couple spots that are not that far in. And that's a perfect thing. Cause I'm like, ah, most of the time I don't need to charge my phone, but occasionally I might, if I've really been using it um, hard for some reason. And I'm like, Oh, that's a little two for one. I have yeah. a, a light at camp. And if I need a little emergency phone charge, have it right there. Yeah. And while we're geeking out on lights, since you mentioned phone charger made me think of it, there's a ton of USB powered little light strips that you can use as well. So if you have a base camp and you have some sort of like power bank, 
um, there. That's actually what we did on our rifle elk hunt is Steve had, uh, gosh, it was probably 20 feet of these little, it was like a string, but it had little LEDs built into yeah, it. Almost like then, Christmas lights with almost, those tiny white lights, right? Yep. Yep. And we hung those in our base camp tent. And then we would just plug it into uh, a power bank with USB. So that's another really light, cheap option you could look at. Yeah. And I, you know, and they do double duty. I know you're probably a big music festival guy, right? You're going. <laughs> of course, and, right? Yeah. So you can set up a sweet base camp and have it for your Instagram feed. <laughs> My Instagram's so popular too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just keep cruising through some of the lists. Um, one that I know a ton of guys are already aware of this, like, it should just almost be standard issue. If you like doing things outdoors, just one of those Mr. Buddy catalytic propane heaters. Um, those things are so packable. They provide a lot of heat. Um, you know, you gotta still, even though they say they're catalytic, obviously be careful. So you don't accidentally kill yourself with using propane, but man, for warming up at a base camp, those things are really, really dead simple to use. Um, you know, wood stoves are great, but they obviously take a lot more time to set up and use and, um, yeah, those little Mr. Buddies are awesome. And one thing I pair with that a lot that I don't see a lot of people take, but it's, this is one of those items that really made a difference a few times is having a little battery operated fan. Mm. Um, as you know, getting some airflow is the best way to dry things out. Um, also, that time of year, we're often hunting here in the West. You're getting warm days and cold nights, and that can create some condensation. If you put a little fan hanging up towards the top of your you know, tent, and it just really reduces condensation and keep everything nice. Um, so some of these are rechargeable now off USBs. Others just take, you know, double A batteries. Um, so find yourself a little battery operated fan really can work out nicely. Um, and then here's a couple just random ones for you. Well, I'm sure most people know like a shovel to bring along that can do multiple things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, dig little holes, move rocks out of the way at the camp, you know, use it for putting out fires, um, digging a big poop hole. I, so I know you love to go deep on like random things regarding hunting. Here's a story for you uh, <laughs> about a, one of the best base camp things. I, I learned this from a guy named Rod Bremer. Uh, Rod owns a company that I don't hear talked about a ton, but it's been around. People are probably familiar called CRKT. They make knives and tools, oh, right? Yeah. 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 I had the chance to hunt with him several years ago. I'm pretty sure this was his idea. I'll credit him anyway. Super nice guy. And we were at a, he had a big wall tent base camp. I got invited to go um, there and they were going to be there a long time. So we took a shovel and, you know, obviously you got, we had like four guys you're at base camp for a week. Everybody's got to do their morning business. Well, instead of scattering every day, what we did is we went and dug a really deep hole with a shovel. And then I brought along these, it's going to be a little bit, funny to describe, but it's basically a toilet seat that sits on this uh, aluminum frame that fold down flat for mm-hmm. transport. But then it flips out the toilet seat, like clips right on top of it. And so you just put that over the top of the hole. So we essentially created an outhouse in the woods with an actual toilet seat. And it was a great base camp system. It was like, Oh, you're just, just like a normal bathroom, like, Oh, so-and-so's over in the bathroom. You know, you just got to wait your turn. So on the downside, but instead of having 24 poop piles at the end of mm-hmm. your time hunting, like there's just one hole and you throw dirt on back over it at the end and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, and that little collapsible toilet seat thing was like 
10, 10 bucks or 20 bucks, something like that. Pooping pro tip. Yeah. Pooping pro tip. Never thought that would be my uh, claim to fame, but <laughs> there you go. Um, another little thing I use a lot, especially, I know a lot of guys sleep in the back of their truck, right? A lot of, it's a pretty common setup. People have a, a topper on there or just um, some system where they sleep in the back of their truck. And one of the only downsides to that is sometimes it can be tough to find a level spot for your truck on these backcountry roads. So I bring some scraps of lumber, like some, I think three or four pieces, I think they're two by 12s or two by 10s. They're maybe I don't know, 18 inches long. I just throw those in the back of the truck and it makes it dead simple when you're like, oh, you know, the back right's a little low. Just throw a couple of those down, drive that tire up on there. And in a matter of seconds, you're, you got a nice level place to sleep. Um, and they also work just, you know, you need to level your, your table at camp, something like that. So a couple scraps of lumber really can help out. Mm-hmm. And then just, I'm a big fan of having things organized. So having reliable bins or duffel bags, whatever system you prefer, but I think it's worth investing and in having some of that stuff just to keep your, your life organized. Uh, and in one of those, I always keep backups of my key gear, like the stuff that if you lost it or broke something like your hunt would be over, you know, we're talking about like boots and, or, you know, binos, you lost your ammo or in the case of archery, you know, your release broke, um, having an extra hunting knife in case you lost yours mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Another one I'd throw in there is like a target, right? So whether it's archery yep. or rifle, some way of, if you take a bad fall or you have some sort of gear mishap, mishap on a backcountry hunt it's like oh well, we can get back to camp not only do we have tools but thinking through okay we have something to use as a target as well yeah so um i'm almost positive it was tyler crockett that showed me this um you've probably seen these they're little tiny targets gosh i should i'm terrible with brand names is uh the black ball that a lot of people have it's once well, on a ball Reinhardt. like yeah the reinhardt one have you seen yep. that little tiny one they make that's like the size of a volleyball yeah, they have a little they have a little ball and then they also have a little triangle one. There's a couple super portable ones. Yeah, so that little Reinhardt is what I bring and um it's shaped like a ball but one one edge of it is flat so it can sit and it's kind of weighted with sand. Um and I found that it does an adequate job, you know, if you're just making sure your bow's still on, you're you're certainly not going to want to put 50 arrows into it cuz when you hit it with an arrow it tends to rock it and kind of knock it to the side yeah um, yeah we do yeah, this similar like no space yeah we do similar for rifle we just bring a piece of steel that sometimes we'll bring a stand and all that but a lot of times you can just find a good spot to prop it up and if you just need to check zero at 100 it makes it quick and easy totally i actually just saw one thing that's on my list to potentially buy in the future is these um basically two metal poles that slide you step down into the ground and they have little loops of metal so that you can slide a piece of cardboard in and it suspends the cardboard in between the two. So no matter what kind of terrain you're in, you can get it, your target up off the ground a little bit and kind of mm. create a standing target. And it's like a $30 system. I, that's one I've, for the exact purpose you're talking about, I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of handy. Or I do a fair yeah. amount of my target shooting. I know you've been here to Boise, like just out in the BLM near town, there's a lot of options. And mm-hmm. sometimes you see if you're setting up a target on the ground, it's, you get a little bit of brush in the way and it can be kind of frustrating. So having a simple system like that. Um, 
yeah. So getting back to just a few of those like kind of random luxury items. Here's one this, that I got introduced to this year that I, at first I laughed when I saw my buddy bring this out. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. We're getting soft. This is ridiculous. And then it was a game changer. He brought a massage gun on our uh, trip into the Frank. Hey, are you familiar with these? Like they look yeah, like, 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 the, the like pulsating. A, yep. Vibrant thing. And dude, after like the days we were packing deer back to camp, you just run those down your legs, spend 10 minutes on your freaking quads and hamstrings. And I, you know, it's tough to say to you like, I, but I felt really freaking good every day after I did that. Dude, that's um, killer. Yeah. And they don't take up much space and they're getting inexpensive. So, um, that was, that was kind of a funny one, but the other thing I always keep at my base camp in the truck is just a, a towel. And then this, I've rigged my water, you know, I always have a jug of water and I rigged this little shower nozzle thing that I can set up so that if, um, I truly want to actually shower at base camp, um, I can do kind of a makeshift shower, but most often I just use it to, um, you know, wash my hands, get a little soap going on my arms. I can wash my face, kind of give myself just a pat down and, you know, I, baby wipes are awesome too, but having a little shower nozzle and a towel has been nice. Cause like I said, I, I prefer the archery season. I'm hunting a lot in um, early September. It's still plenty hot here and I don't mind stripping down next to the side of the truck and giving myself a big rinse. Yeah. Actually, and how, how are you connecting the nozzle? So I use these water bags from a company called Hydropack. Oh yeah. Uh And they're like an eight liter soft water bag and they come down and they have the same type of tubing that you, you know, you have on your bladder and your backpack. Right. Right. And so I just took some of that tubing and there's, you can buy these little shower nozzles. Some companies have it that connect to that sort of tubing. Um, I think I made one originally some makeshift, like a bottle cap. I just drilled a bunch of small holes in, and then I put a, a valve on it, you know, like a, you know, so it can stop the water flow when I'm on it, but I can just hang that bag off a tree branch, or I have a rack on the side of my truck that I can hang that water bag on there. And then basically it becomes my you know, water station for filling up drinks or, or washing my hands, washing my body. Yeah. Um, I hunt a lot of places that are a pretty substantial drive from my house and I've, I like, you know, whether I'm successful or not, if I'm hot and sweaty, I've been in the backcountry for a few days before I drive home to get, take five minutes, rinse myself off, give myself kind of this basic backcountry shower and then put on usually the same clothes I drove out there in you know, right. t-shirt and shorts or clean pants, whatever the case may be, makes that drive home a lot better than going home and you're like stinky, dirty yeah. clothes. Yep. Dude, water is like a, a big one. I actually have a, uh, I didn't do this just for hunting based camps, although it, I use it all the time for that, but we camp as a family and all kinds of stuff. But I have one of those decked drawer systems in my truck and they have these weird, they call them ammo cans. I'm not sure why, but there's these weird uh, spots where the drawers are obviously between your wheel wells. And so where there's this extra space on the side, they have these lids and then this little box basically that drops down in there. But anyway, I took a, uh, a water pump meant for RVs is just 12 volts. So it runs mm. off truck power and then drilled like a quick fitting, uh, connect disconnect to the deck system. 
And then I have this hose that I just quick can plug in. And then literally it's pressurized water. I just run uh, a tube from the pump into some sort of water source. I usually travel with like a six gallon one, but anyway, it pressurizes water. It's so handy for that trailhead shower for if we're camping, washing off dishes, like even go on a run and get real muddy spraying off. I use that thing a ton. Um, It's easy to underestimate like how useful water actually is, especially like some sort of running water, even if it's, you know, gravity fed, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that and just said gravity fed because you're absolutely right. Like pressurized water is super nice. And, and we're lucky that, that those types of systems are getting easier and easier to find and they're becoming less expensive, but water in general, like for a base camp, you got to really, that's one consideration. Like if you're unsure if you're going to be around water, it is smart to bring as much water as you know, you have the space and uh, weight allocation for, because man, you can go through water really quick. Big time. Um, and you know, it's no harm, no foul. If you don't use it, you can either wait for the next time you're going hunting. If it's not that long or you know, pour it out when you get home, whatever you need to do. Um, it reminds me of a story. I was hunting actually with Brad Brooks, who I know you've had on the podcast before. And we were base camp hunting and it actually maybe the same time as the other thing. I'll just weave this into two stories, but Brad had killed an elk and we got back and this other dude was in this camp area and he had a system where he would actually throw a pump into the river that we were near and it would go through a hot water heater system. And he had a full-blown hot shower set up and yeah. uh, he saw that we had an elk came over and talked to us and he was like, you guys want a shower? which is kind of weird when some random stranger is asking if you want to shower behind his camper, (laughs) but we took him up on it and it was like just a treat to be standing there, like taking a hot shower, you know, air temperature was probably 35 degrees or something. And so you want to dry off quick, but it was pretty sweet way to get cleaned up. And, but it was a big heavy system that, you know, he packed in his camp trailer. This guy put a lot of emphasis on comfort and his setup. Um, But we were, we were glad to, to, uh, you know, use it, but that was the same area. I, I, I'd be remiss not to tell the story since Steve's the you know founder of XO and, um, it's funny experience. I, it's gotta be that same hunt. I was with Brad and we had allocated like, I don't know, seven or 10 days to be hunting. It was towards the tail end of the Idaho archery season. And we started in, like, we just ran into curveball after curveball. We were planning to do this backpack hunt and I'll try to keep the, sh- the first part short, but, um, uh, we went in with a buddy with horses and the first place we went to, there was already a camp there. And then second place just also had another horse camp. So we had to bail out and went back to the trucks that night, kind of defeated and then planned to backpack in the next morning. And we were met at four in the morning by somebody coming flying into our camp, honking their horn. And we're like, what in the hell's going on? And uh, there was a search and rescue out for some guy who, an older guy who had fallen off a horse the day before and was really busted up and this search and rescuer was asking if we'd seen those people and we had so we, we gave him directions to where we'd last seen them because they hadn't got a good radio contact um anyhow so brad and i went in for a few days and mediocre elk hunting it was just a weird experience because there was like search and rescue helicopters flying over the whole time trying to land and help out this guy and really high winds so they were struggling to go help this guy and Anyways, we ran into some other hunters who were illegally in a wilderness area on mountain bikes and had a mild confrontation with those guys. And um, 
So it just, the whole hunt was feeling uncomfortable. And then the weather just went south. It was like, I'm sure you've been in this, just that worst temperature range between like 30 and 40 degrees. We're in just rain and snow mix and you cannot get dry. You don't mm-hmm. get weather, you know, it's just, you're not seeing the sun. Um, it'd be way easier if it was just 15 degrees or colder and snow, but um, we backpacked in for a few days and we're just wet and miserable and decided to pull the plug and move like 30 miles and just hunt out of a base camp where we knew this camping area was a you know, pretty comfortable setup. So we roll in there and it's late in the evening the first night we get there. So we just go straight to sleep and uh, hunt all day the next day. Just same, just horrible wet conditions. Don't have any luck that day. As we get back to camp that night at dark, we had noticed that there was a camp trailer that had been sitting there the night before with nobody in it. Well, as we're cooking dinner, we hear some voices and, you know, from multiple guys and we're like, God, I, th- I swear I recognize a voice. And I walk over there and it's Steve. And uh, I think it was Steve and Lenny and Tyler Crockett and uh, John Abernathy, if, if I remember correctly. And those guys have been backpacked in, um, you know, a couple miles away. They'd been in there for like five days, just fighting this terrible weather too. And they were just like drowned rats. And we, all, we, and they were still planning to be there for multiple days. Like we were, and we all climbed in this, you know, this, I can't remember whose camp trailer it is, but it was a, you know, primo one big sucker with lights and kitchen table and full stove. And sounds like a crockett set up. Oh man, this thing was, we had the heat blasting, um, you know, drinking, drinking beers, eating hot food and, that was such a game changer because we were all just like worn out down on luck. We didn't been enduring this crappy weather and then have just even one night in that really comfortable base camp, just like gave everybody renewed energy. And, uh, you know, it almost sounds like, like a little storybook ending here, but the next day, I think it's the next day or the one after Brad ended up arrowing, uh, what's been his biggest bowl he's ever shot. And it was, you know, weather was still terrible, but, we had that extra energy to go back out there and uh, paid off. So that was a, that was a perfect example of where having a, a big, nice base camp was a total game changer. Yeah. You have some uh, points in your notes here that are so helpful on things you can do to improve your next base camp. And so let's run through those pretty quick. Cause they're just super practical stuff that guys can kind of put into practice as they're hearing us talk about a base camp. So uh, let's, let's run through those. Cause I know it'd be a helpful way, especially as we need to wrap this up here. Yeah, of course. And some of these would apply for backpacking as well. I'll just mention that. Right. So number, number one is create a checklist um, or a spreadsheet of your gear for your base camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then add notes to the checklist item so that you can make modifications um, mm. for future trips. And then after each trip, do a review of your gear. Determine if you know there's stuff that you did not use or there's stuff that's in need of repair or replacement. Um, and then here's one I do that I don't hear a lot of people doing is I make a list of potential future gear purchases that would improve my setup. Hmm. Um, so I just have a running list. Uh, I already mentioned like investing in you know good bins and bags, um, and then label your stuff. Like it just makes a world of difference when you're like not searching around for like, which bin has my cooking gear, that sort of thing. What I use for labels is this stuff called gaff tape, G A F F. That's not a brand. It's just a type of tape. It's usually used in like the video production world. It looks mm-hmm. like a roll of duct tape, but it's, you can write on it super easy. It doesn't, 
a permanent marker doesn't smear off like it does on duct tape and the stuff doesn't leave any residue behind. It comes in a whole bunch of different colors. So you can color code things if that's your deal. Um, I tend to just use white and then write with a permanent marker on there. Um, and then another one I have here is handle your repairs and maintenance on camp items. Um, do this to improve your next base camp. So you know, make sure you refill all your fuel tanks, you clean up your stoves, your water bladders, um, you know, apply water repellent to stuff if needed, sharpen your, your tools, your knives, um, stock up on all your consumables that you're going to use for the next camping season or hunting season. That can include you know, meals, fire starter, firewood, beverages, that sort of thing. Um, here's another one that I always tell myself to do, and I'm, I'm not great at it, but I know some guys that are, which is to make a whole bunch of meals in advance, freeze those, because having real food at base camp is another huge advantage of base camp, right? Mm-hmm. Well, do you have an example for those? Like things that you may make ahead, freeze, and then are great for base yeah, camp? Like just, you know, spaghetti, chili, um, I, Brad Brooks, I've hung with him a lot. He's, he just takes like tons of taco setups. He's always got tortillas and like a full taco bar in his truck at all times. And so he can just heat up meat and beans and throw it in a tortilla with taco fixings and it's a go-to. And then the last one I do is I use it like my Google calendar to set reminders throughout the year, um, like of things I need to handle for maintenance and prep so that I'm not caught, um, you know, with two days before season's supposed to start. I'm like, oh shit, I haven't, you know, refilled my fuel tanks or I haven't gone out and bought a bunch of dehydrated meal, excuse me, dehydrated meals. Um, so using my calendar to make sure I I've done all those things in preparation is really handy. That's a great tip. There's a lot we didn't, uh, get to Josh and it's such a great topic and conversation. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here and you can say no, or we can remove this, but could I summarize some of this, including some of the things we didn't cover and like make a reference, like almost article or something like that, that guys could go and kind of get a recap of what we discussed and maybe some quick thoughts on things we didn't discuss. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I'd be happy to help you with that. Cause yeah, there are a bunch of things that, especially for those inexperienced people not, you know, they may not be thinking about as far as like camping restrictions and random things to think about like road closures and livestock issues and all those kind of things. So yeah, I think that's a great idea, Mark. Perfect. So as you guys are listening to this, this isn't created yet, but we'll make it happen by the time this episode comes out. So look for a link in the show description and you'll get like a recap again of a lot of what we discussed and then some of the topics on base camps that we didn't get into, such as some of the common mistakes, things like that. Uh, and that would be really good to, to check out if you like this topic for sure. So, um, yeah, great stuff, man. Uh, I want to, can I, can I go ahead? Yeah, no, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I, I want to, um, two things I want to kind of shoehorn in here. Um, one is, uh, this is meant as a compliment to you and Steve, but I think it's important for listeners, especially if they're not longtime listeners or maybe some of these inexperienced people for people to realize like truly how, uh, like what top physical performers you and Steve are, because you guys are very modest and you kind of like casually talk about packing, for example, your elk uphill six miles back to your camp. And I just want a lot of people to know, like, that is not something everybody is capable of. So people should be like really realistic when they're out there, especially planning elk camps, because, um, you know, I was lucky enough to go on the death hike with you guys when you're 
think it was considered the easiest death hike here. And I was like a middle of the pack performer, but in general, like I'm fairly physically fit and you and Steve are in a, at a very high level. So I just know because of your modesty, you guys don't mention this a lot. And I think it's for the audience, if you're not aware of that already, like calibrate your fitness uh, expectations accordingly, because these guys, these guys can freaking get after it. Um, and the second thing I'm going to shoehorn in here, because I know you guys love gear, like random gear things. I'm going to uh, make sure I hook you up with probably when you come to Idaho this summer, these things called uh, Technora Tough Laces. They're like $10 shoelaces. They're the greatest boot shoelaces you'll ever find. They absolutely don't slip. Um, there may be a company called Lawson Equipment. And like I tie my boots in the morning and they never change all day. They're amazing. Yeah, dude, that's a, it's funny you mentioned laces because you never think of those until you have a bad pair. Yep. And then you get this certain pair of boots and you're like, I love these boots, but these laces are killing me. And yeah. I've what I've always done is pull uh, laces out from another pair of boots just because I have so many pairs of boots sitting around. Um, but I've never had, and I actually have researched a bit like after quote unquote aftermarket or replacement laces, but I've never tried any of them. So I'm glad you mentioned that because there's some oh. boots that I like, but the laces drive me nuts. Yeah. For as much as you guys talk about boots and insoles, I'm with you. I, I never thought of it until I just randomly, I can't remember why I did it. And I was like, Oh, this is, I'm never going to not have these on my hunting boots. Yeah. Cool. This is a complete, complete curveball, And I want to revisit this like more in depth, Josh, but one of the things that, uh, you and I had chatted about before, um, and you sent me a great idea to talk about. And I, again, I want to do this more, but I'm just kind of curious to throw this topic at you and see where you're at now. You mentioned archery shooting and a shooting tip and a shooting drill that helped you kill a bull. And you even said like, this flies directly in the face of some of what's taught, right? Like guys like Joel Turner and his controlled shooting process, which we've had him on the podcast, love that process. But I do think there's a place for call it shooting quick or shooting on demand. Um, so I just want to real quick, and again, we can dive into a whole different discussion, maybe later in depth, but what is this drill that you use? How do you think about it now? How has it helped you in the field? And again, I know this is a complete left turn. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Um, I'll try to make it fairly quick, but yeah, as you said, this is not like advice on how to sh shoot. Well, normally this is purely for those circumstances where you need to get an arrow out really, really fast. And like, that could be a, a follow-up shot or an unexpected shot or something along these lines. And this is only for times where I have a very, very close shot. And so what I'm trying to establish is what's my maximum effective range if I intentionally rush through a shot as fast as possible. And the way I do that is I go to the range. I start very close here in here in Boise, we have an awesome city range with these, I think they're like four foot by four foot targets. Um, so you're not going to miss the target at close range. So you can start with a big target. And basically what I'm doing is I am trying to go as fast as I can, taking an arrow out of the quiver, getting it on my string, pulling back, getting my aim point and releasing an arrow. And I do. And then as soon as I shoot that one, I'm reaching down and getting the next arrow on and doing the same thing. And whatever you consider your suitable uh, grouping, you know, let's just use the classic, like pie plate size, 
started a super close range and like, oh, did I group my three or four arrows in that? And if you did, intentionally going as fast as you possibly can, then incrementally move back until your your group is no longer acceptable. And this has allowed me to be like, oh man, let's just say with practice, I'm like, oh, at tw- I can go as fast as I possibly can. And I'm still shooting in a decent group at 20 yards. Well, now if I'm out in the woods and something happens where I need to get an arrow out off really, really fast, I'm like, all right, if, as long as the shot's under 20 yards, I still feel good about this. Like my group's as good as it's going to be at whatever, 60 yards, 70 yards, whatever it is for you. Um, and this helped me in 2020, my, the bull I killed, um, you know, I, I was working in on a bull. He was separated from a thin group of timber and he was responding to every one of my cow calls. He was just bugling like crazy. And I, I sound like he was coming. I was kind of moving up and then he just came absolutely charging in. And there was, and I, because I was calling myself, like, um, I, in this case, I already had an arrow on the string, but when he bugled the last time after I called, he was way closer than I expected. I heard him running, crashing through. And I only had one window into the trees and it was clear it was going to be under 20 yards. And it was as fast as I could. I had to you know, put my release on, pull back. He stepped in there, you know, settled the pin and released. And I absolutely did not go through my normal shot routine. I went through this rapid fire shot routine and it was the only reason I killed that bull. Um, and because a big part of what you develop going through this is the muscle memory, right? Of just moving quickly. Because if you haven't practiced this, like just putting an arrow on the string, clipping your release on, pulling back and getting an anchor, I promise you, you're going to fumble with it the first several times you do it. So just like any other kind of athletic movement, you get more efficient at it, and more fluid with it, the more you do it. So um, it's just, yeah, just, you know, I, I kind of think about it like guys that shoot a pistol, you know, maybe if you're in law enforcement, I'm sure they practice, right? Pulling out their, their gun and shooting very quickly for certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so I've just tried to develop that skill for archery and it's paid off a couple of times. That's cool. Yeah. And obviously it's, uh, I feel like we've probably said this, enough, but just to recap, you can like, if you're, if this is how you're shooting most of the time, you can very clearly develop bad habits and this could go downhill, yes. but what, what would you on that note, like, what would you say in an ideal world, it's preseason, you're shooting pretty regularly leading up to uh, the start of your hunt? Are you doing this 20% of the time, 10% of the time, 30, you know what I mean? Like how compared to like, cause you still want to practice good shot execution, shot sequence, all that other stuff. Right. Um, so just curious. And again, not saying that there's a right answer, but what has been your experience with it? Yeah. What, what I can do is I would say about half the time I go to the range, I do this as like the last thing I do before I leave. Okay. You know, I slide over to the 10 or 20 yard target at the range and just do it really fast because I'm basically just trying to make sure that muscle memory doesn't get lost and to ensure that, okay, like for me, I, I just conveniently use that 20 yard setup. And I, so I do it at 20 usually and be like, all right, is my group still what I would consider an acceptable kill zone group at 20 if I'm moving super fast? If it is great. Like that was just a, a little tune up on my muscle memory. If it's not, then I'm like, Oh, either I'll stay there that day and do it at 10 yards or the next time I come, I'm like, all right, well, I got to start at 10 yards and do this a couple of times until I refine that skill and you know, rebuild the skill set a little bit and move up. So I, yeah, I just tack it on at the end of my shooting session. 
Cool. Yeah, that's good. Josh, it's been, uh, it's been fun, man. I'm glad you put this together for us. It's been a great conversation. And again, there'll, there'll be even more that we share uh, through that link that'll be in the show description, but thanks for putting uh, the time and effort and energy uh, into it. Cause it's, it's super helpful to have for sure. Uh, any, any stuff you want to share? Like, Hey, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram or anything like that for listeners if they want to. Sure. I guess if any of your listeners are as, uh, you know, randomly OCD and get excited about spreadsheets and organization like I do, and they want to reach out, feel free. Um, yeah. Instagram be an easy way to follow me. I'm, I have nothing tricky. I'm just, I think it's my name, J O S H dot K U N T Z. I believe is my, uh, Instagram. Um, yeah, happy to help you out. Um, I like, I like thinking through these things. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I guess I'll put, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I know Mark, you and I were talking before we hit record that, uh, XO is going to be at some upcoming trade shows in Salt Lake and Portland. Um, I'm going to be at those as well, helping, uh, our mutual buddy, Brad Brooks at the Argali booth. So, you know, if any of you want to come say hi in person, I love chatting with people. Um, so stop on by, say hello. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. Don't forget to check out the link in the show description if you want to see the article that discusses more aspects of this topic. And also, you can share your questions with us by sending an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app to receive future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.